from our gospel this morning. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, friends. Uh, happy Palm Sunday. Uh, Palm Sunday is um, it's kind of an interesting day. We are covering everything from the tri- uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which is today, all the way to Good Friday, which we just read a moment ago, where Christ is crucified and dies on a cross. And so Palm Sunday, if you do it right, do it liturgically accurately, we do this really strange bifurcation. We celebrate in the courtyard the arrival of this king, Jesus, and to the new Jerusalem, to the royal palace, which is why he's going to Jerusalem. That's where the king lives. We start there, woo, you know, Hosanna, which means save us, right? And then we end with this gospel lesson where the same Jesus, just five days later, hangs from a cross, beaten, scourged, spit upon, dead. It's a, it's a colossal, seemingly, it's a colossal defeat. It's a crash in public opinion faster than Will Smith's after the slap heard around the world. So what do you make of all this? What do we do with this, this tension? I hope you see it. I hope you do. It's what we're here to do today. Talk about this, this tension between this, uh, the irony, if you will, of this king who arrives to conquer and seemingly he's defeated, or is he? So what do we make of this sudden and seemingly complete decline of Jesus from hero, woo, to zero? Well, let's look at two things this morning. Um, I don't, you know, I always feel funny preaching on Palm Sunday. You've just read the passion narrative. It sort of preaches itself. But I do want to talk about two things this morning briefly. What, what really, well, who killed Jesus and why? It's a big question. Who killed Jesus and why? So who, you might say what, really killed Jesus? Well, the most obvious answer to that question is Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilatus is his name. He's an interesting guy. If you don't know anything about Pontius Pilate, uh, we, he's famous to us, right? We read him. He's in, the, in our Nicene Creed, and the reason he's in the Creed is to put a date on it, right? That's how ancient people wrote. You put names in so you'd know where these things occurred. Pontius Pilate, the procurator of Judea. Yeah, he's a big deal to us. He's important. He's one of the most famous Roman leaders that we can think of, but he's actually historically kind of a bit of a loser, he, uh, he'd been somewhere else. I can't remember where. It might have been Galatia. I don't remember exactly. But he was somewhere else, and he failed. And as a result of his failure in leadership, they sent him to Judea, right? Not exactly a prime piece of real estate. They send him there, and now he's got to prove himself, right? He's got to redeem his name. He's got to show the higher-ups that he can actually do his job, or else guess what? Game over for Pontius Pilate. And so Pontius Pilate is the procurator of, over Jerusalem. They are occupied. The Jews are occupied by the Romans. Pontius Pilate is the head of an occupying army. And the Romans, if you don't know this, were actually pretty tolerant. I mean, crucifixion is pretty extreme, granted. But they were actually a pretty tolerant lot. So long that you um, paid your taxes, first thing, right? It's always the taxes. Pay your taxes and don't destroy 
democracy. Oh, wait, that's not it. No, pay your taxes and don't cause a fuss. That's the background. And so this is the setting of our gospel lesson this morning. And this is why Jesus' rise and fall is so dramatic. We call it Palm Sunday, but the context is actually Jesus arriving in the city of Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And what is Passover? Passover is when God sent his angel to come down and pass over the Jews, and they are released from, from captivity in Egypt. In the Jewish mind, you see, Passover is a, is a celebration and a recreation of God's delivering act towards his people. And so everybody from all over the empire is gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate God's deliverance from oppression. The capital city, the city of David, where the king lives, where the king's palace is. If you piece it all together, it's almost like a, like a novel. It's sort of like what we're seeing is almost like a, a uh, July 4th celebration on steroids. You, you, you can, you know, Pontius Pilate might not have been the sharpest tool in the shed, but the dude could read a room. He said, you know, if you're going to be a a politician in Roman society of any caliber whatsoever, you can read the room. You can read the the tea leaves of of what's going on here. Not only that, you see these crowds, people cheering for this new king. What about the current king? That's a problem, right? And you've you've got your people out, right? The Gestapo is out, and they're hearing things. The undercover police reporting back to you to Pilate. Pilate, again, wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed, but he was a politician, and he could read the room, and he knew if he didn't do something and do something fast, he's gonna have a big problem on his hands. This revolution afoot says that. He could, fearing fearing a crowd, right? And so this young rabbi arrives, Jesus of Nazareth, arrives on the back of a donkey, which also comes out of the Old Testament, the symbolic of the, of the king of the Jews riding on a donkey. It's a prophecy. Don't miss that. You know, Pilate's piecing all these things together. He notices what's going on, and he says, you know what? I got to do something about this. And it's not because he's terribly he's worried about appeasing the Jews. It's because he's trying to save his own skin. And so Pilate orders Jesus to be crucified as a threat to the public order, a threat to Rome. Jesus is then dead, crucified. They arrest him. He's tortured. He's he's condemned. You know, and the reason he's crucified is to show that Rome has power, right? We'll talk about this on Good Friday. But the whole point of of crucifixion is a public shaming act of, of murdering somebody as an example. That's why you did it. So Pilate says, all right, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, yeah, he's toast, he's gone, he's dead, problem solved. My reputation is intact, what could be better? Honey, get me a drink, right? (laughs) So on the one hand, back to the story, who killed Jesus? Well, you could say, you could say the Romans killed Jesus, Pontius Pilate in, in particular, but you could also blame the Jewish leadership. The Jewish leader, leader of the time, the leaders, the, uh, the priests and the Sadducees and so forth, you could say that they were the ones who killed him. Well, why would they do that, you say? Well, why would they? Well, in Luke 22, 67, verse 67, they ask him, they ask him, Jesus, you know, you've got all the marks of the Messiah here. Clearly something's going on. If you're the Messiah, Jesus, tell us. And this is what he says. If I tell you, you will not believe. And if, you, if I ask you, you will not answer. This is where it gets really hot. But from now on, 
the Son of Man himself shall be seated at the right hand of God. Are you the Messiah, Jesus? No, I'm not the Messiah. I'm God. (laughs) So if you're a Jew and you have somebody in your orbit who claims to be God, what's the penalty? Death, by stoning. He's committed blasphemy. It's a tremendously, if it's not true, it's one of the highest, worst things you can do in the Old Testament. A Jew who claimed to be God would be put to death. And so the Jews conspire with the Romans to do their dirty work, and they orchestrate an arrest. They conspire with Jesus as a matter of religious commitment and fear, and they put him to death by hanging him on a cross. The Romans killed him the Roman way. The Jews would have done it by stoning if they could have, but, you know, dead is dead, right? Go back to the question. Who killed Jesus? The Romans? Yeah. Did the, did the, are, are the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people there to blame in some sense of the word? Yeah, you could blame the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders also. They killed him. But you know what the, you know what the real answer to who killed Jesus? Who the real answer is? You know who killed Jesus? Me. You know who killed Jesus? You. And what I mean by that is, Jesus died for me, and he died for you. And he dies for everyone who calls on his name to save them from their sins. Listen, no one took his life. He gave it. No one took his life. He gave it. Let me show you something that maybe you never noticed before. This always bothered me when I was a kid. I never understood it. When Pilate says to Jesus, so are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, well, you say so. What kind of an answer is that? The Jewish leaders, are you the son of God? Well, you say that I am. What kind of an answer is that? It sounds like a dodge, right? It sounds like Jesus is trying to split the baby. Well, if I say no, I'm lying. If I say yes, they're going to kill me, so I'll just not answer. You say so. That's the way I always read it, almost like Jesus chickened out. That's not what's going on here. Let me show you something. Is Jesus playing coy, or is there something more going on? When Jesus says, you say so, or you say that I am, it's neither a yes or a no. What it is, listen, is an assertion of authority. Let me put it to you. Let me give you an example. You ever been to court or seen it on TV, right? There's the uh, this big trial in South Carolina. I've been so interested in that. I don't know why. I probably shouldn't be, but anyway, the Murdoch trial. Um, who asks the questions in a court of law? Who has the authority in a court of law? The defendant? The guy on the stand? No. Who asked? The, who asked? The judge. Where were you on the night of September 16th? Whatever. Or the prosecutor and their questioning and their interrogation of the witness, of the person on the stand. Because the prosecutor has the power. Because the judge has the power. The defendant, the defendant, the guy who is charged with the crime would never reply to a question with a question. Picture the scene in Law and Order, right? So, Mr. Jones, were you on Friday eve? Where were you on Friday when you heard gunshots in your apartment? And Mr. Jones says, Well, Your Honor, what do you think? You see my point? That's what he's doing. You say so. 
Take it a bit further, and you, you wouldn't know this probably, but in the ancient Near East, to question someone, to ask a question of someone, is to assert authority over them. One example is m- many. When Jesus says to the demon, what is your name, right? Jesus is asserting authority over that demon. Jesus is a- asserting authority over Pilate and the Jewish leaders. He is challenging their authority and, and, and not answering their question. In fact, he questions them. And what he's saying is, You're not in control here, Pilate. You're not in control here, Jewish leaders. I am. See, friends, here's the thing as we go into Holy Week this week. No one took Jesus' life from him. He gave it. He is not the victim. Poor Jesus. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Man, the guy really got a bum rap. Falsely accused and arrested. And boy, poor Jesus, man. Whew. He really, got a, he really got a bad deal. No, 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 no. He is not a victim. He is the victor. Christus Vincent, Christ the victor. He gave his life. He gave his life willingly for me. He gave his life willingly for you. To pay the price for your sins and for mine, to restore us to God, to punch our ticket, to reconcile us to God. You know, all people have a hard time understanding this, but it actually makes perfect sense. All sins, religious stuff and otherwise, has to be paid for, has to be undone, right? All law, all moral and ethical law has to be undone. And I ask you a question. Has anyone ever hurt you? Has anyone ever done something to you which was a betrayal? or stolen money from you, or whatever, fill in the blank. You've all got stories. What do you do with that loss? What do you do with that? Where does it go? Say, let me just make it simple. Let's say someone steals $10,000 from you, right? What happens? Either you get the money back, in which case the guy who took the money has to pay it, or you don't get the money back, in which you have to pay it. Either way, someone's got to pay it. Either way, someone has to make restitution. This is what forgiveness is all about, right? Little side worries here. Forgiveness is all about being willing to pay the price for something that you did not do. Justice, listen, justice demands payment. I'll say it again. Justice demands payment. If God is good, which he is, and God is holy, which he is, and God is just, All sin must be paid for. Otherwise, God is not just, and then therefore God is not good. Imagine a God who sees all the sins of the world, mine and everybody else's, and says, man, that's really a bummer down there. Woo! Glad I'm not part of that action. That wouldn't be a good God. It It wouldn't be a God worth worshiping. Justice demands payment. Either the wrongdoer or someone else has to pay the debt. And here's the crazy thing about today. The prophet Isaiah says that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us good. And by his bruises we are healed. Don't you see? (laughs) Put it another way, Jesus says, greater love has no man. Then he lays down his life for his friend. 
Friends, Jesus' life was not taken because of Judas's betrayal or Peter's cowardice or Pilate's cruelty. No. Jesus' life was not taken by the Roman, Roman jurisprudence or Jewish political machinations. No. <laughs> Jesus' life was freely given by him for you to pay your debt in your place, which you can't pay, neither can I, but he can. Jesus gives his life freely to save you from hell. Because the passion, the outward story that we read is really about something much more important and much more critical. Who possesses your soul, God or the devil? Jesus' death on the cross, friends, here's the great irony. Pilate says, there's your king, the king of the Jews. He means it to mock him. And yet Pilate, despite himself, is actually right on the money. Here is Christ who reigns as a king, not from a throne, but from a tree. Here is Christ who reigns as a king, not by having people serve him, but by serving others. Here is Christ who lives as a leader, the example, the victor, not by saving his life, but by losing it for you. So friends, as we think about, we enter into Holy Week, and we get ready for Easter, which is the good story, the better, you know, in the chapter 2. Let's remember the reason we're here is because Christ died to set us free, that Christ died to save you, that Christ went to the cross for you. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for Jesus who came to earth, who took on human flesh and gave his life for ours and took the hits we deserve on his sinless body. Help us, Lord, to see not the passion, not with pity, but with gratitude. Help us to amend our lives to know that Christ has died to save us, to save me, and help me live like I believe it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.